1 John 3.1, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. We'll be in the tail end of John chapter 2 and verses 28 through 29, and we will work our way through chapter 3, verse 10 in our time together this morning. The sermon title, as you see there in your bulletin, is that from which we just read, called children of God, and so we are. So as you are finding your way to 1 John, I have a couple of questions for you this morning. Uh, it may seem a little uh, odd, but I, I promise uh, they will tie in. Uh, how do you know that you're actually a part of your family? Seems a little esoteric, ethereal, right? How do you know you're actually a part of your family, those parents that you have called parents your entire life? If I were to ask you to prove the fact that you are indeed a part of your family, what are some of the evidences that you might list? Some of you might say, well, I've always been a part of my family since I can remember. Uh, Some of you may pull out a birth certificate. Uh, You may say, I have a family resemblance. I have similar tendencies to my parents. I have a shared last name. Uh, And some of you guys might just be proud that some of your family members actually claim you. There's multiple reasons to why we could prove that we're a part of our family, and it's pretty standard and easy to prove, correct? There's nothing groundbreaking there. But now if I were to ask you, to prove, to give evidences as to why you are a child of God. Where does your mind run to? Do you feel like that's even a fair question to ask, to prove that you are a child of God? Do you think there is a way to prove that you are a child of God if you have many conversations with those who proclaim to be in Christ? It's not a very fair question, they might say, that only God knows the heart. How can we prove what only God knows? I would disagree wholeheartedly. I believe scripture would as well. In fact, if you were to ask that question to many churchgoers, you'd hear answers, something similar to the like. Well, I've always been a part of a church. I'm on the church member role. I look like other Christians. I act like other Christians. You know, I call myself a Christian. In fact, other Christians call me a Christian. Now, The joy of being your pastor is I know that those answers are not many of the answers that you guys would give, and thankfully. But functionally, do we live in a way as if though that would be our answer, that we look for these external evidences of things that we do rather than the evidences found in Scripture? It's my prayer this morning that those would not be our functional or actual answers as to how we know that we are indeed children of God. So rightly, we're going to be asking this question throughout our time this morning. How do you know that you are a child of God? How do you know? My goal is to preach this message to perhaps three different groups that are in the room this morning. Um, Joyfully knowing the state of many of your souls, it's prayerful that one of those groups will not exist. So let me illuminate a little bit more. Group one, those of you in this room that know that you're in Christ that you know that you know that you're a child of God. It's my aim that through the preaching of this word that you would be strengthened in your faith, that you may go out and strengthen brothers and sisters that doubt. 
the second group where I can often find myself in different points in my walk of faith is doubting. Having many conversations with many of you in this room, I know that is the case, that there are periods, even longer periods in your Christian faith and walk that you doubt whether or not you're in Christ. It's my aim that the Holy Spirit would remove all those doubts this morning through the preaching of his word and you would know that you know where you stand in Christ. And the third group that may or may not be in this room this morning prayerfully is those that do not know. And it's my aim, whether it be in this room or anyone listening on podcasts later, that they would receive the spirit of adoption and so be saved. So we'll see in our time together this morning, this one prevailing theme, as you can see there in your bulletin, Christians who practice righteousness reap the fruit of assurance. Christians who practice righteousness reap the fruit of assurance. It's not saying that assurance comes from you doing things. Now, we have to be very careful here at the beginning. This is the front door, the doormat into legalism. This is not what we're saying whatsoever, but we are saying is that Christians, those who have been saved by Christ alone, by faith alone, to God's glory alone, by his grace alone, friends, those Christians who practice righteousness will have assurance. And that should be our solemn aim in our Christian life. So will you pray alongside of me this morning as we dive into God's word? You know the state of your own assurance. You know if you doubt. You know if you have full assurance. Would you pray alongside of me and ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate your heart this morning, to give you a firm, solid, anchored assurance in Christ alone. Father, thank you that we as your people can come in to this fellowship to sing your truth, to open your word, to be molded and shaped by you. And yes, to know, to know that we are your children God, you don't desire for us to have no assurance. But God, you fully desire that we know that you are our Father and we are your children because it then empowers us to live a life glorifying you. So Holy Spirit, would you Illuminate our heart this morning for the teaching of your word that you would be glorified and magnified. All for your beautiful name we pray. Amen. So join me in 1 John chapter 2, verse 27 as we are reminded of our context. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about everything, and it is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Abiding is mentioned twice here. John here has been directing us to abide in him that we may have a surety in sound teaching. From here, John will then direct us to abide that we might have surety in our salvation. So as we look at each one of these headers in our text, as you can see there in our bulletin, will be divided into three parts. Can we get on the same page here for just a moment as we mentioned a moment ago? This can be easily the front door into legalism. So I believe the proper way to look at each and every one of these headers this morning 
is through the lens of not a to-do list, but a litmus test. This is not a to-do list of things that you need to do in order to have assurance, to manufacture assurance, but rather this is a litmus test showing you that if you are doing these things, of course you have assurance. Now, if you find yourself at any point in this sermon disheartened because you are not doing any of these things or you're doing them imperfectly, remember this is a litmus test. If you are not doing them, that does not explicitly mean that you're not in Christ, but rather it means if you hope to do them more and have more assurance, the answer is not to abide more, as we'll see in our first point. The answer is to love God more. If you love God more, you will abide more. Does that make sense where we're going with this? And I will seek to remind us of this in each and every point. As we can see here, as we're asking that question, how do you know you're a child of God in the first place, Per our context, in verse 28 and 29, you abide in Christ. How do you know you're a child of God? You abide in Christ. John, who who lived and walked with Christ, as he loved Christ, as he spent time with Christ, he abided in Christ. And he had assurance beyond all doubt that he was loved by Christ. It's why he calls himself the disciple whom Christ loved. He knew. He knew. Join me in verse 28. And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. Those who abide in Christ will have confidence at his return because they have been diligently, eagerly, and lovingly awaiting. Christians who practice righteousness reap the fruit of assurance. Those who are diligent, those who are eager, those who are lovingly awaiting the coming of Christ will absolutely have assurance at his coming. Spurgeon says it this way in reference to this verse, what is the way to prepare for Christ's coming? What is the way? The one scriptural prescription for preparing for his coming is this, abide in him. If you abide in the faith of him, holding his truth, following his example, and making him your dwelling place, your Lord may come at any hour, and you will welcome him. So the question is, do you practice this righteousness as Christ did? Do you abide in Christ? You can see there in your outline, the question we're asking is, do you love him? If you love him, you will abide in him. Remember, this is a litmus test, not a to-do list. If you're looking at your life, if you're abiding in Christ, you can know that you are indeed saved, a child of God, because apart from him, you could not do this. Perhaps a way to make this all the more enlivened in our heart is to consider a a mother or a child or a spouse whose loved one is off at war. Now, no one has to tell that spouse or that child to miss their father who is off at war. It is a natural awaiting. It's a natural eagerness. There's a diligence of which they are looking forward to the coming. This is why even in architecture, we see things like widow walks on old southern towns where there's a perch at the top of a house where the wives would go up and they would look out for their husbands to come home from war. And so often they didn't. That's why they're called widow walks. They were eagerly and diligently awaiting. 
Christian, what this looks like for you and your abiding in Christ is an eager, diligent, loving, looking forward to your king to return. It's the parable of the virgins who kept their lamps lit in their diligence, waiting for their bridegroom to come back. It's all the more about the faithful watchmen on the tower that are waiting through the the night hours of the dark and, and waiting for that dawn to come in their diligence and their eagerness of looking for the sun to come as we are looking for the sun to come. It is like the loving servant who stayed awake in the night hours awaiting for their master to come home. You see in verse 28 is that we may not shrink back in shame at his coming. The opposite of abiding is the running. It's what Adam and Eve did at the coming of God in the garden. It was turning back in shame. So Christian, if you lack assurance, love God. You love God, you will abide. And as you abide, you will have confidence that you are indeed a son or daughter. Verse 29, if you know that he is righteous, you may be sure, again, we're seeing this confidence, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. So if you're tracking so far, John's argument thus far is this. Those who abide in Christ, and here in verse 29, those who practice righteousness can have confidence and be sure that they are saved. Now, for one group in this room, that might be very encouraging. Okay, I'm abiding in Christ. My time in the word is vibrant. vibrant. My time in prayer has never been richer. Now, a whole other group of you in this room, perhaps that is one of the most discouraging things you've heard here in a while because you know that your abiding often is short. And your practicing of righteousness is not a deliberate methodical practice of righteousness so you can lose heart in this. Now, I I believe verse 29, we could go in depth here, but I, I believe the truth that is being taught here is all the more expounded in verses four through 10 in chapter three, and we're gonna handle those together because I believe John pauses here before he gets into all the things that Christians must do in order to have assurance, he pauses from that line of thought and goes down a different line of thought of the assurance that we have because of our identity in Christ. He's seeking to be pastoral here. And I hope to be the same for you this morning. Before I tell you what you must do, I hope to remind you of who you are. So how do you know you're a child of God? In our second header, you resemble Christ. We'll see this in verses one through three. Verse one, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. What kind of love? Notice it says what kind of love. It's not just any type of love. What kind of love has the Father given to us? It is a familial adopting love. It is the love that a father feels as he looks at a child. It's the love that the mother may feel as she looks at her child, but it's an adopting love. John chapter one, verses 12 through 13. But, all, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. What kind of love did God give you? 
It's the kind of love that sees you of who you truly are and invites you into the family. It's the kind of love that saw us as the dirty, homeless orphan in the street begging for bread. It's the kind of love that has now brought us into his family, given us the royal name, dressed us in his royal robes in Christ's righteousness. It's an adopting love that we have been adopted with. You see that we once did not resemble anything of Christ, but now we do. This is not something that we can manufacture ourselves. It's something that must be given to us. As verse 1 continues, John says, the reason why the world does not know us is it did not know him. The world did not make this correlation, the connection of how Christ resembled the Father and how we as the bride of Christ resemble our groom. The world does not know And at times, you fall into that same category, do you not? Of not knowing if you are in Christ or not. If you truly resemble Christ. And the best way to know if you do is to abide in his word as you get to see all the more the beautiful illustration of who God is and the revelation of who God is and through the exact representation in Christ. Verse two, beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Your identity, your assurance that allows you to know that you're a child of God, it's not so much in in what you do, but in your resembling Christ because of who you are right now, although you are wayward, although you fall short, although that you have a proclivity towards sin, you are not who you will be be. Praise God. Because the love of the Father will change you. You will be like him, as verse 2 says. But catch this. I love that word now in verse 2. We are God's children now. You have been adopted now. God is not in love with a future version of you, a holy, sanctified version. He adopted you while you were yet a sinner, while you were an alien and a stranger, while you were wandering, while you were in fact, as Paul says in Romans, an enemy of God, he adopted you. So what does this resemblance mean for our assurance then? As you're taking notes there, as we fill in these blanks in our bulletin, those who continually think, believe, and behave as children of God will grow an assurance of God's sure adoption of them. Again, Christians who practice this righteousness reap the fruit of assurance. If you behave in a manner and look like those in your family, you have assurance, like we said at the beginning, that you are actually a part of that family. The more and more God sanctifies you, the more and more you have assurance that you actually are his child. So do you practice this righteousness as Christ did? Do you resemble Christ? Do you act like him? You know, you can't manufacture and fake resemblance. You can't make yourself look more like another person. What makes you look more like another person is what resides on the inside. Your genetic makeup dictates how you look like those in your family. 
And in the same way, that makeup of what is in you, as Christ abides in you and you abide in him, and the more of him abiding in you will transform you from the inside out and you will begin to resemble your father all the more, even though you desire at so many junctures of your life to run back into that life of that homeless orphan seeking after the paltry pleasures that are found in the gutter rather than the royal meal set before you at the king's banquet table. So how do you know that you are a child of God even when you fail to resemble him time and time again? How does that practical assurance actually work its way out into your life? How do you know? The testimony of the Holy Spirit. The testimony of the Holy Spirit. This is why Christ said it's better that he goes and the Spirit comes. Romans 8, 15 through 16. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. When you're in those moments of habitual sin and you come to your senses like the prodigal son and that moment, it's not you coming to your senses, it's the Spirit enlivening you to remember who you are. When nothing in your life or nothing inward in your heart resembles that of Christ or of God, how do you know when you're so wayward? Sometimes it may only be the testimony of the Holy Spirit saying that you're my son, but you're not acting like it right now. Parents, if you know this truth, you know it to be true in your own life with your kids. When your children act up, I can't tell you how many times that my mom said, Clint, come get your son, because he's not acting like mine right now. It's true. Christian, your sinfulness does not disqualify you from sonship or daughtership. It's the very thing that qualified you for Christ purchasing you because you were dead in your trespasses and sin. It's the beauty of the gospel. You see, like we said, these are a litmus test, not a to-do list, because if we take this message and say, I need to abide more, I need to look more like Christ, you're putting a yoke on your back that Christ broke on Calvary. Does that free you from practicing righteousness? No. The Christian, the saved child of the king, absolutely practices righteousness, and their assurance blossoms. So don't get these out of order lest you fall prey to discouragement. As we were reading there in verse number two, it says we shall be like him one day. And I know that's often an encouragement for me because there's times I don't feel that way. And I ask God, why didn't you, when you save me, just fully sanctify me? Why, why the, the process? So how can you be sure? How can I be sure that one day we will be like him? where we will fully resemble Christ. Well, the process has already begun now. 2 Corinthians 3.18, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed 
into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. We are being transformed. Now, if that is not a great encouragement to you, I can understand why this became such a great encouragement to me is I was able to encourage an older saint in the faith this week with this, one of my neighbors. And it's just something that, it's a verse the Lord brought to mind and when I said it, you could see it just grabbed her attention because she has long lived under the weight of sin and suffering of her own flesh and she is eagerly longing to put off the temporal and put on the eternal and to know that she will be like her savior one day. She's eagerly, she's on the doorstep on the precipice of it and lived a faithful life. And the longer that we live this life in Christ, the more that we have these opportunities of these backs and forths and this cycle of sin like we saw in Judges. And man, what an encouragement we find in those verses that we are being transformed. Not, not we doing the transforming, but we are being transformed as we abide and as we seek to practice righteousness. This is why verse three concludes by saying, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Now, this obviously does not mean that we purify ourselves. We know this is the work and the role of the Holy Spirit. But this is an exhortation towards practicing righteousness. What this is, is a call to practical righteousness, to be holy, to purify yourself, not the inward purification that the Holy Spirit does, but akin to what the priest would do in symbolically outward cleansing. We're, we're called to outwardly pursue righteousness, but knowing that we pursue it inwardly as the Holy Spirit is making us pure as he is pure. So these are the first two manners by which we can know that we're children of God. We look at our life and we take honest stock and say, am I abiding? We take honest stock and, and look at our life and say, do I resemble Christ. And the third manner we'll see as the bulk of our verses this morning is that you imitate Christ. The question here, the thrust of these verses is, do you act like Christ? Again, for any of us that can tend to struggle with legalism and wanting to do things in order to earn God's approval, forgetting we have already been approved of, these verses are ones that we must walk in diligently and discerningly. Verse four, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Now, Pastor Brian did an amazing job when we were walking through and talking about walking as children of light. This practice, this a deliberate walk. John is saying everyone who makes a practice who is deliberate and eager and loving sin in this lawlessness, it is sin. So again, we could see those same adjectives we use for our abiding in Christ can be used here for lawlessness. Now, lawlessness is what? Lawlessness is saying, I can do whatever I want and God will forgive me because he is a God of grace. That is the opposite of legalism. And what scripture is saying, what John is saying is that in of itself is sin. That is presumption. So take, for example, if I were to walk up to someone and punch them in the face, a, that would not be very pastoral, but also B, that would be a twofold sin. The punch of itself would be sin and the presumption that they would forgive would be sin as well. So this lawlessness is a twofold sin that is not of God. It is not imitating Christ. It is not practicing righteousness. It's practicing 
unrighteousness. Verse five, you know that he appeared, he, he being Christ, appeared in order to take away sins and in him there is no sin. This is a deepening of the reason of verse four as to why lawlessness is such an affront to God because it is the exact opposite nature of Christ. The purpose for which Christ came, he appeared in order to take away sin, not to further propagate sin by presuming upon grace. You probably have heard me use Romans 6, 1 often for us. Should we go on sinning so that way grace may abound? No, may it never be so. This is the lockstep teaching of both the apostle and of John here. Verse six, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. That verse weighed on me heavy this week because of my legalistic tendencies. This is not saying that we are sinless, but it's the deliberate, purposeful desire and fulfilling of sin. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or know him. If you are in Christ, you do not love to sin. You love your God. Those who continually are glad in their sin do so because they do not know Christ, is what John says here in verse 6. They have, they have neither seen him or know him. Therefore, they cannot imitate him. Again, this is a section of how we know we're a child of God is by the way that we imitate him. The world does not know Christ, therefore it cannot imitate him. The see here, if we were to truly see God as he is, as we read in 2 Corinthians, we'd be transformed. So if the world were to truly see Christ for who he is, they would be transformed. They do not see Christ for who he is, as Messiah King, the promised anointed one to take away the sins of the world for the flock of Israel. They see him as a prophet or as a Messiah figure that's not fully uh, satisfying the wrath of God, but we have to add something to this. And again, the know in verse six, it's not only to see him, but to know him. This word know is uh, used in the Greek more than just an intellectual knowledge. We, we mention this often about knowing God. It's a intimate, deep, meaningful connection as Adam and Eve knew each other in the bonds of marriage, as we know God in the depths of our relationship with him. You see that those who do not imitate Christ do so because they do not see or know him. As we continue in verse seven, now that is, those who practice lawlessness, this is for the believer, the little children. Let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Again, this is a litmus test, not a to-do list. This is not saying if you practice righteousness, you are righteous and therefore God approves of you. But because Christ has made you right, righteous by paying your debt on Calvary, you practice righteousness because you are holy as he is holy, as Peter would say. As you're taking notes there in the bulletin, those who practice righteousness will have confidence. They are born again because they know God's seed within them has caused them to be righteous. Those who are saved will imitate Christ. Just as 
A young son will imitate their father in walking in his work boots or wanting to help him as he's doing a woodworking project or as a young daughter wants to put on makeup like their mom puts on makeup. You imitate what you love. If you're a part of the family, you begin to look like the family. And again, Christians who practice this righteousness have a beautiful assurance, not of themselves, but of God, wrought by the Holy Spirit. So the question we're asking here is, do you practice righteousness as Christ did? Do you imitate him? Do you act like him? You know, behaviors, specifically ones like um, body language or uh, word choice or uh, tendencies, those, those are only learned by long periods of time spent seeing and knowing someone. This is why when you uh, are a little bit older in, in your, your walk in life, you'll look back at your, your parents and you find yourself doing the, the things or saying the things that your parents do. The amount of time that you spent with them naturally impresses into you those familial tendencies. Yes, even generational sin. In the same way, the more time you spend, spend seeing Christ and knowing Christ, the more of him will be impressed into you and the more you will begin to not only resemble outwardly, but also act like him. Acting like Christ comes with being with him. This is why time in the word is not just something that we do to make ourselves feel better. It's, it's time spent with the one whom we love. And as we abide in him, he will abide in us and we will bear fruit as he did. Verse eight, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Practice deliberate adherence is a marker, is an identifier to one's master. If you do the things that your master does, if you walk the ways they do, if you say the things that they say, it's a marker of whom your master is and practicing sin is a marker that the master is the devil. And if the practice is of righteousness, the master is God. We see here Christ came not that we would practice sin, obvious, we know this. Christ came to do away with, to destroy the works of the devil. So the question we're asking, asking ourselves in, in practicing righteousness, it's not only the positive regard, but also the negative. The positive regard, do you love like he loves? Do you care like he cares? That's the positive. The negative here is, do you hate what he hates? It's not enough just to simply love God. This is why a marker of a true Christian is got to go beyond, yes, the children of God, the love, the familial adoption, yes, but it also runs deeper into loving to hate what he loves to hate. If he hates the works of the devil, we must hate them. If there's anything that runs contrary to your God, it is wholly right to hate it. What are some of these things? Things you hear us often mention here. Abortion. The 
degeneration of the biblical family unit with man as head and, and wife as the helpmate. It's the hating of the things that the world affirms that is delusional and sinful like transgender and LGBTQ. Now those are sin things that we all struggle with in one form or fashion, but we hate those things that are opposed to God. Does not mean that we squash them and push them out and subject them to our anger, our vitriol. What it means is the proper hate is to share the gospel in love. The proper steps that we take in this is to share the gospel because we love them intimately. I know these are not easy things to say nor hear, but nonetheless true. And this is why as we do them, we must resemble Christ. Kind, lowly, humble, compassionate, friend of sinner. Not ivory high tower, angry, bitter, self-righteous, but nonetheless we love truth because we love the author of truth, Christ. So how do we not lose heart and assurance here when rather than imitating Christ, we often imitate the world? Because isn't that what robs assurance often? Is you look at the commands of scripture, the very things that we just said to hate, and we don't find ourselves imitating Christ, but we find ourselves imitating the world at times. How do we not lose heart? We remember that our identity in Christ will assure despite our inconsistencies in Christ. Our identity in Christ will assure we are reminded of who Christ has made us, how he has purchased us, that we are his children indeed, despite our inconsistencies. Verse nine, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. God's seed, that is the gospel, that is his Holy Spirit placed within our hearts, roots out sin. It, it is what we talked about just a couple of weeks ago when we were regenerated and given a new heart. Our heart has a capacity of one, love for one. is love for God or love for the world. And because we have been given a new heart, this seed, it will root out love for sin. It may be slow, it may be painful, but it, it is sure that we will be more and more like God because we were born of him. God's seed is the new birth and it assures your maturity unto Christ. Just as a newborn baby is destined to become uh, a toddler and that toddler's destined to become a child and that child then a young man and then a man and Lord willing an old man. So the no, new birth assures of your maturity in Christ, that you are destined for perfected righteousness because of Christ. And that process is working its way out right now in your life. And that's why we practice righteousness. This is why we practice what we will one day fully be because we practice who Christ was. We imitate who Christ was. This is why you do uh, 
practicals if you're in school. You practice what you will one day do in a job. This is why we have dress rehearsals. This is why we naturally do these things as human beings because one day when we're in it fully, we have that experience of walking in it now. The reason why we practice righteousness is we love God, we love Christ, and we seek to imitate him. As John concludes, this encouragement to those who are seeking to discern whether or not they're in Christ, he concludes in verse 10, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Christians who practice righteousness reap the fruit of assurance. It's evident. When I was reading that word evident, I'm thinking how often the word evident has been used and it's used naturally in our vocab. It's one of the first things that came to my mind is we hold these truths to be self-evident, self-affirming, that it takes no real level of discernment to see, and John is saying that it is evident who the children of God are. Just as when I asked that odd question at the beginning, how you would prove that you're in your family, you may be feeling, well, it's pretty self-evident. John is saying in the same way that it is evident who the children of God are. This is not a call for us to be boastful. This is not a call for us to do anything besides see the, where we truly stand to be honest with ourselves and then either be strengthened and turn and strengthen a brother and sister in Christ that is doubting or to share the gospel in love with those that are uh, in this perpetual state of honestly, of, of limbo in this gray nuanced area where they feel like I may be in Christ or I may not. Scripture is clear, it's evident who the children of God are. It's those who practice righteousness Again, not legalism, not those who practice righteousness, God affirms, but those who do it do so because God has first loved them. We'll see this in 1 John 4, 19 here in a couple weeks that we love because he first loved us. We practice righteousness because he is the righteous one. As 10, verse 10 ends, nor is the one who does not love his brother. We'll see this in depth next week, that love for brother is a practiced righteousness and it's a further evidence of our salvation. Now, just a foretaste of next week here, John 13, 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Just a foretaste. The world will know if we're in Christ. So this is not even churchmen discerning between churchmen, but the world will know that we're in Christ by our love for one another. Now that is verse we've heard often, but putting a little depth to it. Do you know when Christ spoke those words? It is the first thing that he said after Judas left the Last Supper to go and betray. As Jesus just washed his feet, as Jesus took the sop, the, the honored piece of meal and gave it to Judas, and said, what you do, go do quickly. The first thing that he says to the remaining believers is how the world will know you're my disciples is your love for one another. You want to have assurance? Love God, love others. The great commandment makes it very, very simple. We'll see this more in depth next week. Just see us as a church of, thankfully, Many of us 
in this room have assurance. Just get to walk and, and do life with you. It's not something that many of you really in depth just would be a root sin of just this doubting. But as I get to walk with each of you, I get to see that it's a, a lingering doubt in many of your minds. And I praise God for that, for the opportunity to be able to speak truth into it. But the reason why I so much want us as the Branch Church Milledgeville to have assurance is because it, it goes more beyond ourselves as this conversation can often feel siloed off and talking about self and we forget that we're a part of a body. I want us to have assurance so that way we can operate as the body of Christ. If we have assurance, evangelism would blossom in this body. Why? Because you're fully assured that you have received grace and your debts are paid for, therefore you fully go and live missionally because you can tell others where to find the grace that you know that you have found. You don't care where you find them. You don't care if it's a Thursday night and someone's going out to get drunk. You don't care if it's in the middle of an adulterous relationship. You don't care where you're finding these people that are living sinful lives because you know that the Savior, Christ, died for sin. It is trustworthy and true to believe, and if you believe that you have received, you richly extend. I want us to have assurance because I want us, as the Branch Church Milledgeville, to be a holy people. If we were to have assurance that we are indeed saved, holiness is not something we would just have to strive for, but holiness would rather be something we walk in. What do I mean? If you know that you have full, unbridled access to the Holy Spirit to help you fight and kill sin, whew, what a game changer in those moments when you know that Christ is interceding for you even in that moment as you're contemplating whether or not you're going to sin. Man, holiness is not just something we would strive for, but it's something we'd walk in as a church. Man, and, and one here I've been convicted of recently that I think assurance would help so much with is humility, that we would truly be a humble people. How does assurance help us become a humble people? Man, we see that Christ has made a wretched treasure. It removes any platform for boasting or self-righteousness. There's no faux righteousness of just leading with our shortcomings so that way we look more righteous than we actually are, but it would be a true, sweet aroma to those in this world coming in, not thinking that these church people have it all together, but they're held together by the blood of Christ. As we said at the beginning, there was many answers to those questions of how you could know whether or not you're a child of God. And we gave a list of answers that I don't believe many of us would actually say, but somewhat functionally live out. And it's my prayer that if any of those were you, that you would trade them. Trade them for assurance. That you would trade, well, I've always been a part of a church for God the Father adopted me before the foundations of the world. That's how I know. How do I know I'm in Christ? That you would trade, I'm on a member role for, my name is written in the Lamb's book of life because Christ paid for my debts. That you would trade, I look like other Christians for, I may not always look like Christ, but I'm surely being transformed into his image. 
that you trade that I act like other Christians to a wholehearted proclamation of your life of be thou my vision, Christ. That you would trade, I call myself a Christian for God has adopted me and given me the Holy Spirit as a seal of my adoption. And you would trade, other Christians affirm me for the Holy Spirit affirms that I am indeed a son or daughter. So for the three groups in the room this morning, whichever category you may fall in, I leave you with these encouragements. To those who know you are saved, Luke 22, 32. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Walk in confidence. Strengthen your brothers and sisters around you. To the second group, to those who often can doubt whether or not you're in Christ. John 15, 16, Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and your fruit should abide. Christ indeed has chosen you. Now go and bear fruit. For the third and final category, those that doubt whether or not they're in Christ. It's the second category, those who know rather that they're not in Christ. Deuteronomy 30, 19. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. As the spirit of adoption so wills, choose life. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. So we are. Father, thank you for needed reminders at times of your love for us despite our sinfulness, of our assurances that we can have not in of ourselves, but of you. That you have caused us to abide in you, that you have caused us to be your sons and daughters, to resemble you that we get to see how you live and act, Christ. And we are so called to reflect that to this world and to this city. So I pray that we as the Branch Church Milledgeville would do so with an overwhelming, abundant amount of assurance of knowing that we are your children and therefore we would walk in light of it. So Father, would you be honored and praised through the singing of your word and through the taking of your supper as we go out as your church this week. It's in your name we pray, amen.